0: Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills, on the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle. Which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle Now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy.
1: Straight off, the biggest difficulty is you're known for one thing. You try and do something else. Everyone immediately assumes you shit and kind of uh, dismisses it. You know. So you know, I, I have no illusions as to as to the fact that that was going to be the case, and it is still the case to a, to a greater or lesser degree. But I absolutely love doing it. I and and you don't have to worry about how sore your legs are and stuff. Do you? Kind of, <laughs> you can, can sit. And, Sit and play, and, and you know, until until I'm 80, you know, if, if I make it that long, um, and and that's what I will, that's what I will continue to do.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we are joined by a person who reveled in one of the biggest cauldrons of world cricket, the Ashes. I remember watching this guy as a 16 year old as he took on McGrath Gillespie warning Kasperwitz during the 1997 Ashes series in England and against some of the world's best fast bowlers he never ever took a backward step. Mark Butcher thank you so much for being on my show.
1: <laughs> what a, It's an absolute pleasure no one was was more uh, more surprised or happy than me to, to have you asked me to be on this um and uh, and as for sort of not taking a backward step, those those names that you reeled off there, they um that they won more often than than I did, but it was it was good fun playing against them for sure. Oh
0: gosh, that's the ultimate test, isn't it? Against the best in the business, <laughs> and there's a few few coming your way.
1: Well, win or win or lose, it's kind of you know you've got great memories of it, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Butch made his Test debut against the Aussies in the first Test at Baston during the 1997 Ashes series a test in which England beat the Aussies by nine wickets. I can never forget that massive partnership <laughs> between Graham Thorpe and Nasser Saying during that test as they dominated the Aussies. Like not many had done for, for quite a while. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, look, what a debut. We bowled Australia out just after lunch on day one. Um, you know, the most extraordinary atmosphere to make a, a debut in. Um, you know the old shed and the Holly stand uh, uh, was absolutely just was lifting off the ground. You know, um, and you know I, I came out and, and sort of took guard for the first time in, in Test cricket, like I say just just after just after lunch, I think, um, and didn't make very many, and then sort of came back in and watched watched Thorpe and Hussain put on was nearly, I think it's a record, was not it? it? Was it th- two hundred and seventy eight or something like that? Yeah, um, in fact, the, the partnership went so well that me and my mate, uh, my captain at Surrey at the time, Adam Holyoke, who was twelfth man, yeah. decided that we'd go to a, go out to a bar or to a club on the on the on, the, on night two of the game. Um, sort of naively, sort of thinking you could do the same sort of things you do do <laughs> playing, playing Surrey and got into yeah. a bit of trouble for it. But anyway, you know, lesson lesson learned. Test match one. Uh, <laughs> Good. One. The way to learn from the start, isn't it? <laughs> and you know, and we, and we win. You know, we win the win the test match. And you know, the UK was going through um, a, a bit of a, a bit of a renaissance in terms of its belief in itself. Um, you know, Cool Britannia and uh, all these other, you know, Britpop and all these kind of things were happening at the moment, and it, f- it felt like a pretty cool place to be. And you know, we ended up on the sort of front pages of all the red tops as well as, the, as everything else for winning that test match. Um, it was a typical case of kind of getting a little bit ahead of yourselves. There were still five to go. Um, You've <laughs> and got to the, make the in, most of it. <laughs> uh, well, absolutely. But, yeah. You know, so we, we we hung on for dear life in the in the second one because um, mm. it rained, and I, I made eighty. You know, I should have mm. made a hundred in that in that in that game. Um, and then you know, re- and then it was a real struggle from there on in. A kind of um, Steve War made. Two hundreds in, in the test in the test at, at Old Trafford, yep. um, which was talk about sort of learning a lesson. Um, you know, again, I think we had Australia fifty for three or fifty for four. Can't remember what what number Steve came in, and Andrew Caddick, yeah, yeah, he was at five. <clears throat> Andrew Caddick hit him on the shin. Sort of, you know, bang it. You know how Steve used to dive across his stumps early on in the first ball. Mm. Caddy, I don't think he meant to, but he bowled him his low full toss. It just hit mm. him in the middle of the shin, in front of the lot, and and Steve Button had shook his head. And from there on, in, you know, just uh, Steve just dug in. Dark skies, green pitch, and and, and made a hundred. Mm. Then he made a hundred in the second innings, and, and Warney destroyed us in the in you know, um, in the last innings of the game. And it was one all. And from there on in, the whole thing shifted. You know. Mm. Um, you kind of you felt that Australia had kind of got their mojo back together again, and we started to started to panic. Um, and before you knew it, it was it was all over three one. Well, we we won the last test, but by then it was it didn't matter.
0: Yeah, I remember I do remember that test match uh, that you talked about with Steve Waugh getting 100 in both innings because I remember the watching like watching that and that was a tough wicket and tough conditions and that was just another test to Steve Waugh's you know, mental toughness and resilience to be able to just find find a way to be able to you know to be able to score runs in pretty tough conditions.
1: Yeah, I mean that that was an incredible thing. I think you know, particularly for for me and that in, so I had two periods I suppose of, of of my test career so the first the first part pre Um, pre-2001, where I played, what I think, 27 tests and really didn't, from one game to the next, really didn't have a a proper idea of what I was doing or who I was or what I I was trying to be. Mm. Um, And, you know, and so there were some horrible periods where I just didn't look like I I knew which end of the bat to hold, and that was pretty much true. You know, mentally, I didn't have the the, the tools to – to be able to do what Steve War did, you know, and kind of ride out the tough periods and come out the other side, I kind of, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head into that sort of space. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sort of post that, which which I guess we'll, we'll sort of come on to, mm-hmm. the, the, it, the difference was technically, et cetera, et cetera, I was, I was a lot better, a lot sounder, actually, a lot freer, actually, funnily enough. I didn't I didn't sort of tighten up. Sort of one of the things about Steve Waugh you read is that he went from Sort of being free and easy, happy hooker, playing all the shots in the book, to kind of narrowing that down and, and sort of becoming a you know really gritty, hard to remove player. But I kind of went the other way with mine. I kind of started off sort of want, trying to be really, really tight, but finding that it was so restrictive that if you weren't, if you can't score runs, you, you kind of you, you box yourself in, right? And so when I came back the second time, I was, I my my technique and the, and the work that I'd done allowed me to be freer and to be able to score more easily which then made it easier mentally to kind of to battle through the tough bits. You know, you kind of, you just felt like, well, it's all right because I know that I've got the tools in my, in the box to kind of then score when things are easier. But in the first half I didn't have those, I didn't have those, those tools. And so it just felt like you were getting, you were getting buried, Mm. you know, if if you didn't get off to a start. So um, that was a really interesting thing to to sort of note. And and Steve was a, you know, a, a great example of, of the power of the mind, I suppose, over over whatever else is going on.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting to talk about that um, sort of stages of your career because Justin Langer spoke about it in the exact same way. As mm. he was always a real sort of you know gritty this first part of his career, gritty, dogged, just you know stuck to his sort of strengths. Um, but then the turnaround, the two thousand and one Ashes, where he yeah. was sort of rock bottom, thought he was never going to play again. Didn't know which end he said. I didn't know which end to hold really. Uh, that to- that last test match that he played um, in the 2001 Ashes, he's let go. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm just going to take him on. Yeah. And it's amazing. As soon as you have that shift, yeah, of course, you're probably making a few little technical adjustments. But once you have that shift in your mindset, just to play with that freedom and, and carefree sort of just way of go, like a way of taking the game on, it's amazing that amazing the power that 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 has. And we'll definitely dig into that a lot more <laughs> as we move into it. Um okay, Butch, you played seventy-one test matches in which um you scored nearly four thousand three hundred runs with eight hundreds. And in these eight hundreds that you scored, three of these were against the world class Aussie bowling attack, with two of these being Australia, the GABA and the SCG, and then no Aussie cricket fan. Will ever forget that day at Headingley in 2000, in that 2001 Ashes series. Honestly, I can remember watching that day like it was yesterday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Your innings of 173 not out in the fourth test um, at Headingley in the 2001 Ashes series to chase down 315 in the second innings against the caliber of bowlers, Warren, mm-hmm. <laughs> Gillespie, McGrath, and Brett Lee at the peak of their powers was. Nothing short of extraordinary this is a day that all cricketers only have a dream of having, butch what do you remember about that time?
1: Um, I remember well, I remember thinking that we'd been we'd been slightly fortunate i mean this is this is on the this is the evening before that we'd been slightly fortunate that the rain had kind of forced um Adam Gilchrist's hand a little bit in terms of the declaration because if if we'd played most of the um, the final session or all of the final session um, on day four of that Test match, then Australia would have been out of sight. You know, the lead would have been four hundred plus etc. Mm. So I remember thinking that 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 evening. In fact, I think I was interviewed um, by the by by the Sky and, and Channel Four guys. You know, they sort of said, well. You you got a you got a chance, haven't you? Or 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 sort of they were more negative. They were kind of like, well, you know, you guys you guys have struggled to make three hundred this whole series. It's 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 this lot on this pitch on last day. You know, you, you haven't really got much of a hope, have you? Mm. And I sort of said, I said, well, look, I think, you know, you get you get one partnership to chase three hundred and fifteen, and it's on. You know, mm. and and I and I said that from a from a place of thinking that I. That I was playing so bloody well that it could it, that I could be the guy to do that, you know. <laughs> Ran myself out in the first innings on 45. I decided to take Binger on at, at, at mid-off, you know, fastest bloke on the field, and, and lost horribly. <laughs> 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 you know, and it kind of, you know, I I'd, I'd played really well in the series up until that point, and I just thought, I just felt, you know, of course it's possible. Why, why would it not? Be? You know, <laughs> if it was 450, then I agree with you. But 315, it's not that many. Mm. um and so um you know got a got a, a, the most extraordinary thing i think was i got really good night's sleep normally you know you kind of you know you're batting the next day or whatever or, or just just generally i never i wasn't a good sleeper during test matches hence i might go out and have a beer or something mm. because i just just be lying there staring at the ceiling and mind uh, going round and round but i think i got a really great night's kick that night so i woke up the next morning in a great mood you know all of the sort of things mm-hmm. that they're not always the same, are they? I mean, you yeah. you know you know this really well. You can wake up some days, um, you know, and your eyes feel like you've got sand in them, and your and your neck's hurting. You haven't had a good night's kip. You just feel dreadful. But you've got to kind of drag yourself out and, and go out and be positive and try and you know do your do your best for your for your country. Um, and so I, I just think on that day I kind of wandered in like the like like it was the the greatest day on earth and that anything was possible. Um, and so you know after. I sat out, sat outside at Heading You kind of you couldn't sit indoors, but it's kind of like a bunker. So I sat outside and watched the first couple of balls and Ather's got an absolute jaffer from, from McGrath again. And I sort of strolled out there and thought, oh good. And for the, for about 45 minutes, I got hit in the McGrath hit me in the face off a length. Tress had one bounce straight over his head from Gillespie at the other end and flew over Gilly's head and one bounced four by. It was just flying all over the place. And I just kind of kept walking down the trees and laughing. <laughs> it's kind of like, right, this, we're going to be in the pub in an hour, you know. Um, and, and so it goes back to this, that Steve War thing again. Is, is a little bit like I, I kind of was able to see the funny side. You know, what the hell are you supposed to do with this? And made it through to lunch. Sort of started to find a little bit of rhythm before lunch, made it through to lunch, and then kind of sat there and thought, well, okay, still here, all good, you know. Whereas I think in the, you know, again, in the previous incarnation, I would have just I would have been so worried and so concerned about everything that happened beforehand, that you wouldn't ne- would never have been able to turn the advantage of making it through to lunch into something afterwards, you know? So um, that 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 bit I remember. And then and then after that, nothing really. It's just kind of you just get into that perfect, perfect period of of just you're, you're seeing the ball, your concentration is kind of laser sharp. And the only thought I, that I can remember having really was, you be here at the end, we win the game. That was it. It was kind of as simple as that. Don't, don't make a mistake or don't give it away, you know, mm. that, which, was kind of, which was definitely my thing. Um, don't give it away and we win the game. Mm. And, that, and those are the only real thoughts that were going on in my mind.
0: Because the one thing that stood out to me about that Ings was your, was your intent, um, and you said obviously you're batting really well up until that point as well. But like the intent that you're showing, like you you're putting those guys, like the, some of the world's best bowlers, under serious pressure that to bowl the ball perfectly, like perfect. Otherwise, you were all over it. Was there? You said about like that mindset of being there at the end, um, and not giving it away. But there had to have been some intensity or intent in your mind because that was for me like really evident watching that. That was like putting the ball under massive pressure. Um, otherwise, you're all over a loose ball.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I think after, after lunch, so, you know, the usual thing, we, we go in the dressing room and it's who they're going to start with after as well. It's going to be McGrath and somebody else, you know, McGrath and Gillespie they started with. And I don't think, I didn't really mean to do this, but, but Glenn bowled me a sort of a, a, a little bit of a loosener outside, the, you know, probably that far wide of off stump. And I absolutely murdered it to, to points or first or second ball after, after the break. And he, you know, he had a bit of a sort of shuffle and kicked the ground a bit and stared at me a little bit. Ran up and bowled me, not not exactly the same ball, but it wasn't far off. And I smashed that one as well. <laughs> right. And so he's sort of like, well, okay. And so you know, generally speaking, after after the break in the twenty odd Ashes Test matches that I played, you know, they'd put together seven maidens on the trot, and then suddenly you lose three wickets, you know. Mm. So so there we were, you know, in this pivotal position after lunch. They're trying to gain control. We're trying to sort of hang in there. And suddenly that the scoreboard is rocketing along. I, mean, I don't know, I took him for twelve or something in that over. Mm. And um and you know, maybe, maybe the experience or the inexperience of Adam Gilchrist as captain as opposed to Steve War, Gilly took Glenn out of the attack after two overs. You know, oh, got we oh. got him out of it. We got. Pidge, got Pidge would have been, Pidge would have been pumped about that. <laughs> Take it oh, off. Yeah. But that was kind of that, that. was the effect that it that yeah. it had. And I remember. I remember. Ta- I remember. Do remember taking one risk in those in those first two overs. I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one. The ball. And I wasn't really. I didn't really look to, to pull the ball very often. It wasn't sort of one of my one of my shots. I'd have the odd the odd hook, but I'd very rarely try to pull off the top of the stump, You know, like you Aussie boys do. But I remember just thinking I was moving so well and that Glenn was going to try and, you know, knew where he was going to try and bowl it. So mm. I kind of had a little bit of a, a gamble and, and pulled a couple. Mm. Neither of them I got particularly well, but they were, you know, a couple of runs, a couple of runs. And so all of, a, all of a sudden, you know, that line, as you're talking about, mm. that line became so, so narrow. And then he made a mistake wide off stump and I you know, carved it away again. And so that was it, I think that was the only real sort of calculated gamble that I took was he's gonna he's gonna try and go back at the length. I'm gonna get as far back in my stumps as I can and try and pull him away, which is something that I didn't really do very well. mm. um, I got away with it, you know. And then and then I didn't have to play the shot again, you know. I didn't have to play a shot that I didn't want to play again in the inning because yeah. um yeah, the job had been done.
0: Yeah, no, it's absolutely extraordinary, mate. Like those are the days that every every cricket, every batsman just dreams of having. And yeah. and Especially as well against the caliber of those bowlers. Of course, it's great to have an amazing day um, where everything goes well and you chase down um, chase down runs and win a a game for your country. But to be able to do it against those four bowlers, well, those are some of the greatest bowlers that have ever played. um, Is is phenomenal, mate. Um, Yeah, (laughs) you achieved so many great things during your career. So, looking back now, is there another highlight that really stands out to you um, the most?
1: In, in, in international cricket, I think, I mean, anytime, anytime you won a series, really. I mean, you know, you, you Aussies used to win them all the time. We we were a no, bit. Not
0: when, not, when I was, not when I was, playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I,
1: keep, I, keep, I keep forgetting how much younger than younger than. Uh, <laughs> younger than me um, so, I mean, we we won, we beat us beat South Africa um, at home in 1998, which was. Uh, the first five-match series we'd won since Mike Gatting won the Ashes in Australia, 86-87. Right. Five, first five-match series England won in like 13 years or something mm. um, against, you know, Donald Pollock, um, McMillan, who else, I think, Antini played in that last Test match. You had the incredible duel in the Test match before um, at Trent Bridge. So we came, we came back from 1-0 down to win the last two Test matches to win that series um atherton donald had played out in the in the um in the previous test at trent bridge and then you know it was winner take all one all at, at headingley um i think they won the t- they won the toss and stuck us in and i got 100 in the first dig like I, and and smashed it everywhere it must be something about headingley i just kind of went out there and, and, and blitzed it again yeah. and when i i was out i had i got 116 and i think the score was about 160 or 170 when i got out you know, it's just, again, my maiden Test Match 100, just whoa, whoa, brilliant. And the thing is, so the difference between 2001 and, and 1998 was I walked off and had no idea what happened or why that happened. And I, okay. There was no way I'd be able to do it kind of, you know, again, I just kind of, I just had a day, the sort of day that you would have playing for, for Surrey, playing county mm, cricket. Mm. Um, and you're not really worried, you, you know, it was... Alan Donald and Sean Pollock, but it doesn't bother you. You're seeing the ball and you're hitting it. Great. But I had no idea how I would do that the next day. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, and we win this really, really tight game. 2.30 plays, 2.30 plays, 2.30 plays, 2.30 plays just less than 2.30. And we mm. win the series. So that was incredible. Great celebrations. Um, and then we went, then it was the ashes after that. So, um, mm. which was not, which didn't go quite so well. So that was incredible. Then, um, we, I was part of a team that won the first one in the West Indies for the first time in fifty-four years, um, in two
0: thousand and four. Oh
1: so wow! Was, uh, Michael Vaughan captain that one, and it was yep. the, one of the first times that we had um, Harmison, Flintoff. Oh, I don't Jones, remember. Yeah, up. absolutely.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Um, and myself, myself, Nasser, and and, and Graham Thorpe sort of, were were three, four, and five in that in that batting lineup. Mm. And on some pretty poor, poor pitches, um, you know, put put some put some runs on the board, you know, and sort of gave us gave, gave those boys something to bowl at. Mm. So we we were we were three 0 up. We we won, we won the third Test match in Barbados in two and a half days. Um, Matthew Hoggard took a hat trick, you know, and you can imagine the the, the the England fans are outnumbering the West Indian fans in, in, at Bridgetown by by you know nine to one. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. And so Hoggy takes a hat trick. The the place just goes completely bananas. Thorpey scored one of the best hundreds I've ever seen batting with mm. batting with batting with the tail to get us a one run lead in the second innings, and then we bowled him out for 60 or something dark. Mm. Um so that was incredible. We had we we had 10 days off in Barbados between that test match and the one in Antigua. Wow.
0: <laughs> what a place for that to happen. <laughs>
1: Which is pretty dangerous. Yeah. And then, and then, funnily enough, Lara got four, having not scored a run in the in the series up until that point, oh. got four hundred in the last one. Yes. So, not, so you know, not only did did I get to sort of be part of a team that won there for the first time in half a century, but we also were in the field to watch that. I mean, that was mm. kah, you know, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. And yeah. I mean, look, it's the great thing about it. And, and again, you know this as well as anybody, you kind of, it's very easy at the time to kind of get caught up in your own misery, if you like playing test cricket or international sport, because unless you're like Lara or unless you're like Steve Waugh, unless you're like Warney or whatever, you have a lot more bad days than you have good days. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, one of the, one of the beauties of it, I think, and one of the things I cherish more than anything looking back are the, are the, the times when you're involved in, in team stuff that goes great. You know, people yes. always say, oh, the 173 at Henley, that must be the highlight. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. I mean, I'll carry that to my grave. But the, the stuff that kind of brings a tear to my eye or really gets me excited is when you think about the bits, the, the times you shared with the, with the teams that you won series with or whatever. That's That's the great part of it.
0: There is no, there is no question. That's always the highlights that always pop up to everyone. Is of course there is some you know, special individual moments, but the ones that override everything is the team achievements, yeah. the collective yeah. sort of special moments that you share together. And that's the beauty, I suppose, of what well, is the beauty of playing the game of cricket. Two, two aspects to it. Because yeah, there is an individual, so you know you can you push and there is, um, you can see the outcomes individually. But most importantly there's a team a you know the most important thing is the team dynamic to it as well yeah. so that's a beauty, beauty of the game of cricket um, and the um, team thing always overrides everything
1: and, and the, the great thing about that is is that there's only this there's only a very very tiny amount of people on the entire planet who understand what you you share those moments with you know mm. and yes the, the sort of the crowd and the, and the people that were there in the ground will remember having a great day or whatever it might be but you the 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 small things that happen, the looks in the dressing room, you know, the, the sort of like the hairs on the back of your neck standing up when someone plays a great shot, all of those things are kind of shared between a very small amount of people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm particularly close with any of the guys that I played a lot of international cricket with. It's not like we're on the phone all the time or whatever, but, mm. but when you get together, it's those things that you that, that, that bind you, isn't it? I um, mean, you will forever remember being part of those 11s or those teams. So that's yeah. that's that's one of the, that's one of the only things I miss about playing. Actually, okay, you've
0: touched on the the technical and mental side of things, so I'm really looking forward to digging into um, in, digging into that because um, it it is fa- it is absolutely fascinating. Um, so from a from a batting perspective, and you talked about there about that first test hundred that you scored against South Africa, about just not knowing what what happened, like how can I repeat that again? So Mm. like, was there, was there one technical component or a couple of technical components that you ended up defining that you knew if I did this every time I went to bat, then I can, I'm a great chance of repeating that performance.
1: Um, I think, I mean, again, it's because I I played so differently then than I did later. Mm. Um, I, I literally, uh, let, let's start at the, at the change, right? The change happened mm-hmm. where I was thinking about quitting the game altogether.
0: Was that around and 2000, 2001?
1: 2000. Yeah. Yeah. I phoned my old man and I said, look, I I need your help. He's a great coach. My dad, Alan. Um, and I'd never really sort of gone to him before not in my entire life. So I was what, 20, uh, 28, 29 then. And I said, look, I don't care. I don't care. Treat me like I've never played the game before. Just, Teach me how to pick the bat up again. You know, just make me enjoy doing this now, because you know it it got to the point where I just couldn't couldn't stand it almost. And so he did. So we we had we had two and a half to three months of just he and I, literally backlift, stance, grip, the whole like right back to to being a baby type thing. And I can't. I just let him do it because I thought, well, you know, I'm not. There's no ego involved here. Everything is so bad. There's no. What's the point of fighting with this? You know. Anything's better than where we are now, um, and so and so that was that was so unbelievably um, valuable and freeing and um, and it kind of made me understand it made me understand the game better as I went along because I had I had the tools in, involved that, that allowed me to allow me to, to be able to see the ball and move properly, mm. whereas what I had done in order to become a top order batsman. When I when I first started to play um, professional cricket, see as a kid, it was I was a batsman who bowled a little bit, but when I first started to play professional cricket, I got into the team bowling those filthy outswingers and whatever else and batting Looking at number six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and trying to hit and trying to hit, you know, trying to play as freely as I had done when I enjoyed playing the game as a, as a youngster. Mm. Then an opportunity came at the top of the order for Surrey and I said, Yeah, I'll do it, no problem. And I kind of t- taught myself or, or, or sort of taught myself to deny a lot of scoring opportunity, whatever it might be, to be tight at the top of the order, leave the ball well, all of those things, all very commendable, but, geez, boring. Um. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I've been there. I've been there a few times and you're like, oh, maybe that's the way I should bat. But, oh, yeah. oh that's not enjoyable. <laughs> not,
1: not, not, not a lot of fun when it's going badly anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I kind of worked myself into this sort of. I, I would never say I was an automaton. You know, it wasn't like it was mechanical, but it just mm. never didn't feel free to me. So, there the, were the, the, a couple of things. You know, the, the usual left-hander's thing, and it, one, one for you as well. Don't get, the, don't get the front pad in the way. Try and stand up straight. You know, all that kind yep. of stuff. Yeah.
0: Yep. yep so that was part that was part of your setup side of things that you that your dad worked with you just in your stance was it your head head position or just like the um your actual your stance your pre movement
1: we took quite a lot from brian lara in terms of in terms of one or two things right Mm -hmm. first thing was was grip so on the in in my in my first incarnation my Mm. top hand was, would be kind of almost like I had the, my palm sort of facing okay. up the pitch, mm-hmm. so right round the back of the handle. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you watched Lara or Ricky or people like that, that the hand mm-hmm. is much, much more around. So you've got the back of the hand facing, facing yep. the bowler, yep. which kind of gives you more – it just gives you more flexibility. The hands can move. The bat, you can turn the back face. You've yep. got much more control over the bat face when you're swinging yep. it. Yep. So that was the first thing. The next thing then was, was, was actually to have a backlift. Now, again, back to 98, uh, the reason that it worked, and I know this now because I can watch it and see, was that, that, that somehow during that series against South Africa, I, I'd kind of convinced myself to be a little bit freer in terms of how I picked up the bat. Yeah. But a lot of the time in the, in the Australia series the year before um, and in the tour of the West Indies that, 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 that we'd been on that winter, I hardly picked the bat up at all. Okay. Hardly took the bat back and away from myself at all, mm. which means which means you, you're stuck. You can't you don't move your feet very well, which sounds stupid, but it but it's mm. true yep. because the bat's already on its way down if you haven't taken it back. So you yep. kind of you stop moving. Um, and you have no momentum to hit the ball it's so all
0: punch it's all punchy sort of like stabbing sort of motion yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: and your motions are not are not fluid mm. whereas when you're playing really well the, the, the thing the last thing that moves is, is the bat is the hands mm. so you have to get them out of the way make you yeah. move shift your weight then bring them into play and yeah so again so the difference so I, it was a fluke 98 because I had because I had happened to kind of be a little bit freer in picking my batter but generally speaking i wouldn't have done that in 2001, that was intentional. It was intentional to kind of, to really sort of take the hands, cock mm-hmm. the wrist, get the hands back out of the way, move first, hit, hit second. Um, and so those were all things. And, you know, you had to hit, I had to hit thousands of balls to kind of, to get myself away from what I had learnt, the sort of, you know, the, the bad habits that I'd learnt for oh, five, six, seven years as a, as a sort of professional top order batsman. Yeah. Um, but I had the time, you know, I, I was, there was no tour. I wasn't like I was ever going to play for England again. I was struggling again the Surrey side, you know, at, at the end of 2000 and, and the beginning of 2001. So I just had the time to sort of go away and just try to enjoy hitting a cricket ball, you know, simple as yeah. that. Try yeah. and just remember what it was like to be a kid and to, and, mm. to, and to revel in the idea of being able to pump one, you know, out of the park, yeah. which was something that I did when I was a kid and I'd forgotten how to do it as a professional.
0: Okay, so that reincarnation. So as the bowl was running in in the, the around two thousand and one, what was the thing? Was there what were the things that were going through your mind as a bowl was running in? Was it just clearing your mind and just reacting, or was there like a technical sort of cue or a timing cue or watch the ball cue that you put into your mind to be able to technically or mentally sort of you know beat your best?
1: One of one of my strengths was watch was watching the ball was being able to watch the ball so i kind of was you know i'd I'd be trying to read which way i thought the bowler was trying to move the ball Mm -hmm. from the end of his run up you know i always i was able to kind of zero in on that that was not an issue Mm -hmm. the one one of the the, 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 what i needed and what i needed to to find was a sort of a rhythm with as the bowler came in Mm -hmm. and that was and that was you know get your weight through through your backside a little bit through your heels as you're standing there in your stance don't let it don't let it get into the front part of your feet yep and 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 just tap you know just get a, just get your hands moving backwards and forwards on the ground with the you know with the um with the bowler running in get into a sort of a you know a sort of musical idea of you know here it comes here's the rhythm dum-dum-dum. and then as he gets into his delivery stride the back goes up and if you can get that timing right oh, which is not an exact science but mm. if you can get, you know, on the days when it's good, it's amazing because it's just everything just feels like it's in the slot, and it's like you're dancing, mm. you just move and you and you play and you hit. Um, so that would be the, that. would be the type of thing. It was trying to find a trying to find a rhythm to get yourself into a into a situation. Where you're not really thinking a great deal. You're just kind of like you're feeling it a little bit, mm. and that was that was it. And again, that's elusive. Mm. Even though you know that that's what you're looking for, you can't be mm. perfect all the time. Yeah, um, but that was that was what I was aiming for
0: anyway. I love it because that's the thing. Like for me, when I was when I, when I've been at my best, it was all around trying to um, get yeah get my timing and and working through like a really like little, really simple sort of technical checklist. Mm. Like what you said there is making sure you know the weight was in your heels, not on your toes, so your head wasn't over. Um, mm. Like for me, it was it was definitely like making sure my my eye line was was upright i wasn't sort of lazy and my eyes were slightly on an angle um, but then a big part was my timing and the rhythm because as you said it's not an exact science and some days were great some days weren't even like periods of through your innings at times were like just went in and out of your timing at times yeah. but you knew what you were chasing and timing of your movements whether it's your pre movement or your bat swing you got that timing right and it felt like even someone bowling like 150ks you had yes. all the time in the world Whereas if your timing was slightly out, then you felt like someone bowling 130Ks, felt like they're bowling 150Ks. And I I love that because it's really, it's amazing how you just like, sometimes you just, when you're younger, you just sort of bat and just hope that it falls into place. But when it was so, you'd learn to be really directed with what you're doing. So the ability to do it over and over again, or more often than not, it's incredibly powerful.
1: It gives you the tools to kind of to be able to cope when it isn't working as well. If yeah. you know what it is you're after, mm-hmm. the, the problem comes when you, you're not sh- when well, you don't know what it is you're chasing. Then you then you just go to pieces because you're kind of like, well, I don't I don't understand why this isn't working today. But you can cope with it if you know. Okay, well, I, my time is a little bit off today, but I can work around this because I know it might come back to me. It's it's no problem. Yeah. Um, and the, and you know, one of the I guess. One of the great frustrations of of being a, a sportsperson at any at any level, um, or in any sport, is that you kind of your brain gets better as your body gets worse. You know,
0: yeah, that's right.
1: if I was if I was batting now, geez, I'd be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, there's no question. I'd just, yeah. I love it, mate. What you said there is absolutely, absolutely spot on. Okay, you're a great all-round catcher. Um, so was there one one or two technical keys that you always worked on to sort of get into the right position to be able to give yourself the best chance of catching what, everything that came your way or as many things as you could that came your way?
1: Jeez, you know what? I don't know. I'll tell you one thing, though. One thing that that always puzzled me, and I wish to be able to do some sort of research into it. Was that I, I realized after a while that wearing you know the old you know the oakleys the sunglasses when mm. they started to become mm. ubiquitous in for fielders mm. that I would drop a lot of catches when I had them on if I was spilling them it was I had the glasses on mm. and and it I, I don't know. There was some some sort of research was done, or whatever. That for some people, not for everybody, but for some people, the kind of like the the lenses aren't quite matched up with your eyes, and so mm-hmm. I'd find the ball hitting me when I was wearing those things, and and finding like I was late on it all the time. You you watched it all the way into my hands, and bang, the things hit me on the heels before I before I realised that it was there. Yeah, and so maybe, maybe if I you go back. Just don't wear the bloody things. Don't ever wear the. You know, at least I've got I've got an excuse for for shelling them now. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. Surprised you didn't get your and snap them. Have your job. <laughs> yeah. but, I, I
1: guess again, the, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing with it is you again. You watch somebody like Mark war catch, mm. or um, you know, Mark Taylor before him. Mm. Somebody like um, Graham Hick was also a fantastic slip catcher. Um, they, they're just very relaxed. You know, mm. it's kind of. It's very easy because because there's pressure, isn't there? You stand in the slips, you have got you know, Lara's walked to the crease or whatever, and you're thinking, Christ, don't drop this bloke, you know, for God's sake. Um, and so tension creeps in, and you and you start, you know, the mind starts to play tricks with, on you. Mm-hmm. But it's about trying to be as as relaxed as you possibly can be, which again mm-hmm. is not very easy. I mean, listen, the 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 thing I found very very stressful about sort of being being a slip catcher was the idea that you were letting somebody else down, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. When it's yourself, you kind of stood there batting or whatever, you, you know, you call yourself every name under the sun and have a sulk about it. Mm. <laughs> you're dropping catches off Darren Goff or something mm. or whatever, you know, and these boys are busting their gut to try and get these people out. It's that that feeling of, oh, my God, you know, that I've killed the team here by doing this. And then there was, I don't think I ever got around over that, you know, I don't think mm. I ever got, you know, on the times when you when you caught everything and it was great, again, there's no thought, you're not really mm you're almost not concentrating. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just having a chat with your mate and then, oh, here it comes boom, out. No, no. <laughs> yep. When, when again, you're having a nightmare with it, it's almost like the ball is moving at, at absolutely zero miles per hour and you're kind of tracking, you're going, oh my God, don't move. Don't do this. Don't, oh, Christ. This. It's yep. like your, your life goes into slow motion.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, the power—the power of the mind, or oh, for good things and for not so so good, especially getting and getting in your own way. And um, yeah. I'm gonna ask—I'll ask, I'll ask a, bit, a bit about that because I was very good at getting in my own way. Um, <laughs> just um, you are always incredibly fit um during your playing days, as you still are now. Um, what did your fitness regime look like throughout your career? Was it very cricket? Was it cricket specific or more sort of like generic, uh, generic fitness? I used to—I
1: used to love playing football, so I. Play a lot, of, a lot of football in the off seasons okay I'd also kind of had periods where i'd where I'd be sort of fanatical about um doing sort of sprint work and things like that and I hated long distance running I hated mm. anything because my my body wouldn't recover from it you know you kind of carry the stiffness for days and days and I just mm. kind of thought well what's the what's the point of that um, and then other times you know it would be it'd be sort of throwing throwing lead around a little bit you know. The, the, that the things changed i think in the in terms of what the s and c s thought were good for cricket players. you know it mm-hmm. began with you know you do a lot of long longer distance running you do a lot of um, a lot of sort of non non impact or non sort of strength type work, and then it all shifted and everything was strength work, and there was very mm-hmm. little in the way of aerobic stuff i don 't think i 't know whether now they 've kind of got it sorted as to what they think people need more of than not.
0: It seems like it's more function. It seems like it's definitely a lot more functional now, for sure. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, you only have to look at the way that the way that the guys move now. Mm. Um, you know, the, the the fielding. You know, everybody put it this way. When when I was was a kid watching the cricket, and the the West Indies were kind of the model of of sort of athleticism and fitness, etc. They they seem to move better than everybody else. You know, mm. there was a sort of you know a looseness in the way they were able to move. There was also a strength there, you know, and if you think that somebody like Viv Richards was a, was a massive outlier back in those days in terms of his ball striking and mm. athleticism and strength and all that type of stuff. Well, I would say now you, you watch the guys that you've been playing with for the, you know, right up until the last minute, Um, you know, these mm. young fellas, they, they all like, they're like Viv, all of them. They mm. all kind of what was once a, a you know, what was once very much the, uh, the exception is now the rule. That's how, that's how cricketers look nowadays. Yep. Um, so whatever it is that they're, they're doing, it certainly, it certainly seems to be working. Yep. Um, yep. I, I always, I always thought, you know, look, there were times when I, when I thought that I, that I wasn't quite, I wasn't fit enough or that I could have been fitter. That I, particularly when you come, when you go to Australia um, and you, you know, the, the conditions can be extreme you've played enough in England to know that you kind of you know that quite often the conditions are benign it never gets too hot it's quite often the temperatures lovely you're not you're not sort of having to to suffer 40 degrees and all that kind of stuff and that was one thing that i think i never really kind of got got a handle on no matter where we were playing um, was being able to cope for longer longer periods of time when the when the weather got extreme um yeah. and so yeah i mean that, that that's something that uh, that i would certainly look back on and, and change if i could
0: Okay, now we're going to go, we're going to uh, dig into a bit more of the mental mental skills side of things because I, I find this absolutely, like I find this absolutely fascinating because and what you talked about around um, like the time where in, even in, from a mental point of view where you're very like just trying to survive and, um, you know, just stick within your sort of stick within your, um, your flags and sort of just stay there, but obviously you, you made a technical shift with the work that you did with your, with your dad, but then also the mental sort of shift as well. Um, mm. From, from what you, from the lessons that you learned, what were the one or two couple of things that you really developed? Cause it, it you know, you sounded like you really developed a couple of specific mental skills or awareness of what you're trying to chase every time you went out to bat, like technically, but also from a mental point of view. Yeah. I,
1: I, I find this one, this one's uh, Difficult because I'm not sure that I ever quite cracked it. My 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 thing was to try and was really to try and get my 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 physical game into 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 such a good a place that I didn't have to worry about it too much. Mm. That was that was for me. You know, other other people are much more sort of oriented around sort of getting their, their thought process right. I mean, we'd all do the visual visualization and trying to sort of make sure that you were comfortable. Try to make sure that you weren't rushed in any of your preparation, all that kind of stuff. Just keep keep everything as, as calm as could possibly be. And so, all of those things were sort of techniques that that I got much much better at. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of the way that you are preparing, have routines. You know, do 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 the same things at the same times. You know, all mm-hmm. of those t- kind of. Um, what do you call it? they're crutches almost aren't they? They kind mm. of just, you know, try not to to to, to have any surprises on the way to, to day one of the test match or on the way to the on the way to the crease. Yep. You know, little things like b- before walking out to bat. So I'd i put my put, put my head down on the on the top of my handle and kind of just close my eyes for a little bit before getting out of my chair and walking to the middle. You know, just things mm. that, that would be routine. Turn back to the pavilion the way that you come in on the way out. All of this type mm. of stuff. They're just they're crutches. They are routines. They are things to make everything feel as normal and as regular as they possibly yep. can be. But in terms of, you know, in terms of sort of having mental cues and things like that with with um, with bowlers or with particular situations in the game, I didn't really try not to have any of that. Again, it was a, that was a way of staying out of my own way. Yeah what I wanted to, to, to do was to be free to kind of make free to make sort of reactions or free to sort of like try and try and make preempt what I think was coming. Mm-hmm. And I needed to have a very, very clear mind to be able to do that. Yeah. The minute, the minute thought started to enter into the equation in any way, shape or form, then trouble. Yeah. Big trouble. And so, so again, my, my idea about sort of really great mental preparation would be to kind of to feel as though I was, that I was moving and hitting the ball as beautifully as I could. Mm. And then in that way, I didn't have to go too, too much into the, into the brain side of it.
0: So when, when you're talking about the times when you were great was when your mind was clear, but then when you started to get some thoughts, mm. what were your techniques to be able to then try and pull yourself back, pull yourself back to that, you know, that clarity?
1: <laughs> Blimey, I obviously didn't have any.
0: <laughs> no, because this is like because what we're talking about here. This is something that like no one ever talked to me about this stuff, right? No one ever yeah. like because it's always as a cricketer. This is how I was brought up. Always, it's all about technique, yeah, technique, right? And you'll like you you'll get out of your own way because you've got your technique down, you're batting well, your physical movements, everything's great. So no one actually talked to me about like the actual skill to be able to mental skill to be able to get out of your way. So then all yes. the technical things that you've that you've got inside of you, you can access them like regularly. Yes. Um and it's not until recently, the last sort of four or five years, where I've actually finally educated myself around the mental skills where I've been very deliberate in like when I was batting, but as well, I'd stopped playing international cricket by that time. But it was very deliberate in what like the the my sort of where my mind was at and then understanding how if I was starting to get in my own way, then how to try and get out of my own way
1: yeah i I'm, I'm not sure i am not sure that I ever got that i mean again again i had <clears throat> i had routines i had sort of you know little little um little triggers out in the middle whether or not they sort of were able to shift me away from or out of the sort of funk of being you know of, of having the mind being clouded or not mm. i don't know yeah. um yeah. whether or not you know whether or not you can kind of flip a switch and be able to to be able to turn things around no mm. but what but but things like things like sort of like your routine between deliveries or what you yep. would do at the, at the non-striker's end, all of those types of things were, were ways of being able to kind of minimalize the effect. I don't think I was ever, you know, again, that that would perhaps be something that if you were able to start from scratch, you'd kind of like you would, you would work specifically on trying to, to make that more, um, to make that more pinpoint, you know, to be able yep. to really kind of make a, make a difference with it as opposed to, at the band-aid's not quite the right word, but it's like, um uh i don't know like some sort of a a beta blocker or something just sort of a little bit of medicine to kind of to yeah. to, to lower the noise a little bit mm, yeah um as opposed to something that was a that was a sort of a, a cure or something that you could just go bang here we go yeah i know what's happening i can stop it i can it, not only can i stop it i can switch it around mm. and turn it into something that is much more valuable or much more sort of um uh, useful to me. And I, I don't think I ever got to that point where I could do
0: that. Yeah. Because there's no one else, there's no one actually out there helping people around that, like the education people can understand how to be able to have that. And something that you said there from the technical point of view, which I absolutely loved was that you knew you game that well in the end, that if something was slightly off, you knew how to get it back to, you know, you need how to turn it around or make the most of it, even if that, at that moment in time. Yeah. And that's I suppose that's the ultimate thing to chase from a mental skills point of view as, uh, as well <laughs> that if we have the right education like we have everyone has on the like majority of people got access to the batting technique. but if yeah. we have that from a mental skills point of view and we like define our best version um, of you know, best version of ourself when you know we've had our, our best moments and what that actually actually looked like from a mental skills point of view, then that's like that then we know what we're chasing but no one ever taught. No, I never taught me that until about four years ago. <laughs> when was, I
1: was already finished my international career. The 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 things that you the things that you learn I, I think quite often, and this is this is shooting in the dark a little bit maybe here, but quite often, particularly when you're pl- when you're playing international cricket, there are a couple of things, right? There, there was there was always that kind of the idea that you were supposed to know what you were doing and that asking for help kind of was 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 admitting a weakness that somebody else might exploit.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. You mm-hmm. didn't trust.
1: There was not a lot of trust around. Hundred
0: percent. Yep.
1: And that's not, you know, that's not having a go at people. That's just the way things were. You know, you kind of everyone, everyone wanted to play at the top table. Everybody wanted Test match mm-hmm. cricket or international cricket of any kind. Everybody was gunning for that, and so if you had it, it was kind of yours, and you had to keep it close, and you weren't, you know. And, and I under, all of that stuff is totally understandable, and I, I hear other sports people talk exactly the same way about. Mm-hmm you know instead of it being instead of it being sort of a liberating experience it crushes you because you you start to worry about all these internals um so so you have you have that you also have the idea that admitting that sort of weakness or having those sorts of those sort of conversations with people are in some way kind of admitting that you're not as all powerful as you think you are and the part of it is, is that you have to give off the you have to give off the impression that you're bulletproof you know that's it, isn't it? About being a, a sports person. you, you are—you're the greatest. And if you don't carry that with you, then 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 again, you're not going to be very successful. But again, again, you sort of—I've been talking to some of the the young, very very young England players, who of course will, will always have these little gremlins on their shoulders. But this, they seem to be so much more in tune as to what's happening, and they have people that they can go and talk to about how they're feeling on on that level. Mm. Um, and that, to me, is the is the, is the, the 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 biggest stride perhaps that the game has made is that people feel as though they're able to say, "Look, I'm struggling with this. you know I'm struggling with Ospin, I'm struggling with whatever it might be. I need some help. I'm struggling with not being able to sleep at night. I'm struggling with you know my, my wife is driving me crazy at home you know all of the things that kind of go into what is going on in the in the maelstrom of your head while you're trying to c- sort of compete and play as a as a professional sportsman are all things that are now not off the table when it comes to people talking about them. And yet, for sure, without any question, through through my career, they were off the table. Before that, they were even more mm-hmm. off the table. Yeah. Um, and perhaps even through, you know, y- your time as an international cricketer right up until sort of like the, the, you know, 2000, whatever it was, 13, 14, they were still very much off the table. And we like to think of ourselves as being pretty enlightened now. Mm. But I don't think that we're, that we're anywhere near close enough to sort of allow, allow for people to be weak, uh, to show a sort of a vulnerability. Because if you can do that, then, then you have a way of being able to fix it
0: yeah exactly and especially from a from a technical point of view yes you'd talk, you'd got coaches there to be able to sort of work through you know some of your weaknesses are normally pretty obvious if you're getting exposed from the best bowlers um but if you from a mental perspective especially like, and I absolutely felt this that if you ever sort of went to a, like a coach let's say a head coach and said look i'm you know i'm I'm struggling with this and there was a time like twenty fifteen um that I was really struggling mentally um you know and after after the tragic event of Phil Hughes getting killed, like from that moment on, I was actually like, I thought every ball was going to have that effect on me as well. So, but yep. I wasn't, I, there's no way in the world that I could have gone and told the coach like Darren Lehman at the time, but anyone, any coach at that time and said, look, I'm, I'm really struggling here because if I said that, then they would have gone, Oh look, we're, yeah, we really you know, feel for you. And yeah, I know it could, must be tough, but, but at the same time, it's like, but we need to find someone who doesn't have that. So yeah. yeah, you can't you can't like you can't expose your weakness in that regard because yeah. you they're gonna say thanks, but you're out. <laughs> yeah. So that's where like things have shifted a little bit. Like even by still like talking to a lot of the international guys, they still don't feel like they still feel that those things will can be used against them at times they don't really trust people. And that's why there needs to be sort of some people from the outside that they yeah. feel like it's not gonna be used against them. They're only gonna be there to be able to help them grow, help them evolve their their skill set, whether that's technical, but especially the mental skill set, without it ever being used against them.
1: Well, you see, so listen, I I completely and utterly I would I understand why a coach, if you went to your your head coach and yeah. said to him, listen, I'm, you know, I think every ball, every bouncer is gonna gonna kill me, mm. he might think to himself, well, I need to get this guy out of the firing line for for the team's sake and maybe even for his. I, I completely mm. understand that. And I, I don't hold any sort of um I don't hold any sort of grudge over um, you know the sort of mistreatment in, in inverted commas yeah. of, of people who are trying to do their job too.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's so a good point. So
1: what I mean by having the by having the um, by having the, if if you if you've got a bad bat or your or your gloves aren't any good or your your shoes are causing you a problem, you go to to your man and you go and you get get them sorted out. They're not your coach's problem, are they? Mm-hmm. And it's it's trying to I suppose to allow um, sports people to feel. As though going to go and talk to a, a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a sports psych or whatever it might be mm. is as much part of their kit as getting their shoes right yep. or getting their bats right. Yeah, you know, same damn thing. Don't. It's not the responsibility of your organisation, perhaps, to take care of that for you, because they have. You know, and 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 again, I'm pretty hard nosed and old school about all of this kind of mm. stuff that these guys have got, they got to get results. Mm. Their jobs are on the line too. It's not fair of you to put all your shit on them as well. Yeah, yep. You have to go and take it somewhere else. Um, and, and that's part of, I suppose part of being a bloke in, in many ways um, is, is to kind of, is to admit to yourself that it isn't a bad, it's not a, it's not a, a wussy thing to do to go and to go and get that sorted out. And if, and if the culture around um, dressing rooms is such where, um, you're not asking your, your, your teammates or your management, you're not asking them directly for help, mm. but where you could say to your mate sat next to you "Said, oh, mate, you know, I've, I've decided I've, I'm talking to this guy because I've been struggling a bit with this. You know, maybe you maybe you should have a go. And that those two blokes don't tear each other apart for mm. it. Yeah. That's, that's where the progress comes. Mm. And I think, I don't know, because I've, I'm, I'm out of it a little bit, um, but I think... That those sort of things are are happening. That the players now are much more comfortable talking amongst themselves about the issues that they have and the steps that they have taken outside of their dressing rooms to to kind of to to get on top of them, um, you know. And and it's I think it's great because because one thing's for sure. I don't think I've ever been as entertained by by cricketers as a, as I have been in the last three or four years. Um, I'm certainly not one of those who you know sits up there in the, in the commentary box and whatever and talks about how much better everything was in my day. Of course, there are there are players and there are things that were that were better or, or that you preferred. But you kind of, I watch some of the things that some of these young kids are doing. You just think, geez, you know how Crazy. how incredible is that? Yeah, you know. Um, and the sport, I think the sport is in a really really great place because mm. because of the talent that, that's out there. And the more things, and the more that they sort of feel able to express themselves, and, you know, you've you mentioned it, and I'm talking from a you know completely different generation about how, how much repressing of the things that we enjoyed and loved about the game was done in order mm. su- to succeed. Now, that's the wrong way around, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. And so what I'm, what I'm watching is people who are doing the exact opposite. There's no repression of it at all. They're kind of going out there and enjoying themselves and trying to hit it as far as they can bowl it as fast as they can, you know, do, pulling off incredible stunts in the field. They're showing off, you know, and that's, and it's making the game great fun to watch.
0: Yeah, absolutely spot on with that. Uh, very, very powerful words, mate. Okay. Since your, since your playing day's finished, you've been very much involved with the, with the media and the commentary box, especially. So from what you know now with your experiences during and after your playing days, would you have approached the media in a different way when you were playing?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Although, although I think I, I was one of I was one of the few players around at the time who kind of who saw them as as, as having as much of a job to do in, in it as we did. Mm. Um, I wasn't suspicious of, of the writers and the, and the and the press and the TV guys. Uh, maybe maybe the TV actually. Maybe there was a feeling in the beginning because it was unusual, you know, unless you were playing international cricket. It was unusual to see the, the TV cameras. Who has felt as though perhaps that there was a, an agenda there? That um, because they didn't cover every game, you know, it wasn't like they knew what was going on every week. They'd kind mm. of turn up, do one one game every two months, and, and talk like they knew everything that was going on when, when of course they didn't. Yeah. And so maybe you know, <laughs> because I, I now do the same thing. Um, Good <laughs> on you, mate. So uh, you know, the, so there was perhaps a little bit more more suspicion of the of the, of the TV. Yeah. but um but but I always I always thought to myself you know what the, the, this is almost as much of a sort of like a, a mental um, a mental crutch that you can use as anything else you know have a good day read every single newspaper going and that you know they used to do the reports for the county games as well as the international games read every mm. if you've had a good day read everything just soak it all in have people blow smoke up you backside you know <laughs> yep they don't go anywhere near, near just don't look Yep. Just, uh, that was a kind of like that, that's not a discipline I mean that's just sort of self-preservation but mm-hmm. I've watched guys you know they'd have a you'd have a bad day or, a, or an average day or a day whereby, you know, you wouldn't mention them at all in, in a match report. And they'd pour over these things and they pull out a word and they'd, they'd you know, internalise it and be mm. really angry with the writer. Who is he? I'm going to go up to the press box and give him a piece of my mind. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? This game is difficult enough as it is without, you know, taking taking it out on some bloke who's, who's earning three pound an hour to sit up and watch you. <laughs> that's true. Right. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, I always kind of, and, and that's part of the reason Part of the reason why I kind of I've love being involved in it myself is because, mm. look, you can, a bit of honesty is required, a bit of understanding what it is that you're watching. Um, but also being able to to bring to life or to 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 highlight other people's great days is, mm. I think, is a wonderful thing. And never, you know, never shy away from being honest when people are having a shocker either. I mean, there's, mm. there's no issue with that. So, again, and I go back to the England boys. I was on a tour of South Africa um, earlier this year before the lockdowns and everything came in, working for, for the radio, working for, for to talk sport. Um, and they gave us incredible access to the England team. They would they allowed they invited us into the dressing room after they won the series at, at the Wanderers. Um, you know, the, the players were always more than happy to come over and give their time and support to speak to us. And I remember thinking um, because I was hosting that, I was thinking to myself, "Wow, you know, they are so far away from what we were like in our day. There was so much suspicion that they seem to treat it. The guys now they treat it as as being part of part of their job, and also part of their um, part of their remit to um, to promote the game. You know, they're promoting themselves, yes, but they're promoting the sport, and 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 they trust us. I think." Maybe it's because, you know, they, they see people who have been who are a little bit closer to the game when they were playing or whatever, I don't know. But they seem to trust us enough to to, to allow us to ask difficult questions and not be shirty about it. Um, and to try and give as much of an honest appraisal rather than the one word answers and the, that kind of, you know, surly crap. Yep. In order to promote themselves in the game. And I think again, that is that's moving in a direction that is much that is much better and much less tos- toxic than it was back in the old
0: day. Yeah, absolutely. And the, your perspective there, that's a, from, even when you are first, first starting out, that perspective is really like is amazing because uh, not a lot of guys <laughs> like me and a lot of other people that I played with had that perspective rather than, you know, the, the media's got a you know, job to do and, you know, that's, they've, they've got to do their job. Um, and, you know, I, I know a a lot of people would, you know, read read the negative stuff. Yeah, they'd read they'd read everything. And again, I was, like what you said there: the discipline in a way around, and well, self preservation around. Yes, um, that's it. You know, yeah, yeah. Reading like whether you read the good stuff or not, um, whether you want to build yourself up and feel ten foot tall, then of course, but definitely don't read the stuff when you know there's a potential for there being negative because that's just human nature is you, you could yeah. read 10 great articles and then there's one that's just got a couple of little like three words that are slightly off and that's all you're thinking about knowing yeah. that's human nature in general. So I think that's, yeah, that's a self-preservation. You're right. That's a great, it's a great way of saying it. it's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. But you're right now the, the access now that the guys are the guys are giving and that's across the board, whether that's you know to the to the media who are covering the um covering the games, but also you know on, on social media and that you're seeing more people's personalities instead of it just sort of being shut off the this yeah. is how there is are this is how they're on the cricket field, so that's Obviously, how they are off the field. <laughs>
1: right. Social media is an interesting thing. I mean, thankfully, I never, I'd never had to, to deal with that at all. It was, you know, it was um, sort of things like Twitter and stuff. had only really started to kick off as I was as I was at the back end of my career playing for Surrey. So, mm. um, I, I I wonder, I do wonder, kind of what what effect, whether or not I'd be on it at all if I was playing now, mm. because you kind of think to yourself, well, where's where's the upside? Unless you're using it for purely commercial purposes, yeah. where's the upside of having of, of being open to have every single person on the planet um, have an opinion or voice their opinion or, or just slag you off, you know? I, then yeah. Where is the upside to that? There isn't one. But that's if they um,
0: read it. That's the thing is if, is if you read it, you don't have to read it. So, no, this is yeah. true. I
1: mean, the other thing you, you could do, I mean, you know, I, I use a lot of that stuff for just – you know, it's replaced newspapers in many ways. You mm. use it to keep up abreast of things. So there's no mm. reason to kind of because because you don't have to say who you are. You can sort of be on it and never tweet mm. and just use it to, to to follow the people you want to follow. I mean there's mm. no there's no issue with that. But I would I would certainly question the wisdom of um you know of any of any player who decided that they were kind of actively I mean Jimmy Neesham is one of the few few sort of active players who who, seem, who seems to be on it quite a lot. I think Joffred tweets from time to time. Um, is normally quite funny or, or obtuse. Um, yeah,
0: that's even big Joff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other you know, other than that, the guys the guys tend to sort of to steer clear and I think that's pretty wise. Mm. Um, you know, there's plenty of time for doing that, for doing that and giving your opinions about things once you're done, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you're, you're more chance of getting yourself into trouble as well, as in, um, you know, with the with board or you say something that just offends someone and you get fined or whatever it is. But, um, you know, the, the commercial side of things, there's definitely value in it for um, from that side of things. But there's obviously, you've got to understand the, the downside in a huge way, which, you know, which is, Faceless people a lot of the time who are going to give their they're going to give their opinion whether whether you want it or not. <laughs> so i was just making sure you stay way clear of seeing anything like that. <laughs> okay, this is going to dig into uh, other aspects of your life away from cricket, and I truly believe this is one of the most important life skills that most of us most of us don't get an education on through our lives. Um, but managing and investing our money as as well as we possibly can is so integral to make the most of. Of what we've got um and what we've earned so looking back from where you are now um with what you've earned throughout your life would you have done things differently from an investment or wealth generation point of view
1: potentially i mean look my my (laughs) my my family um sort of situation has, has been has been rather complicated over the years um with sort of being divorced and having kids to different mums and things like that and so even if I could have saved more of the money that I <laughs> or invested, it in, it must most of it's gone before he even started. Um.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not the best investment decision. Not the, the that's no,
1: that's I suppose. Listen, I, I played in in the era before there were central contracts, and the period after, and the difference in sort of your earnings or whatever from the before to after period were incredible. Mm. Um, they're astonishing now. I mean, it's it's now, it's not even the same sport now in terms of the, mm. the money that you can earn. And so back in, I suppose, back in the sort of early 2000s or whatever, I was earning decent, decent money, but kind of, you know, I didn't really manage to hold on to a great deal of it throughout the end, Um, but there were one or two sort of opportunities that presented themselves, some of which were in property and things and they were, you know, put in a a few, you know, England managed to, we started to win a few series, so there were bonuses and stuff coming. We'd never seen a bonus in the 90s, didn't they, what one of those was? Um, And so you kind of put them into various building projects or whatever and take the money back out again and then regenerate that and pensions and all this kind of stuff. But not, but nothing really to the sort to the level that that would be possible for the for the guys who have had their careers in the last ten to fifteen years, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, look, all of these things are incredibly important because because as, as we both know, we we were kind of lucky we played for quite a long time, but a lot of people don't get that don't get that chance, you know, whatever for whatever reason. The um, and it could be that the most money you ever earn. Is sort of when you're in your twenties, you know that could be the case. You, you, most most people in normal jobs they sort of they're earning their big bucks when they get into their fifties or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the other way around for us. Yeah. And so it's very important to to sort of to, to keep an eye on that and to have people that you trust and, and to try and make some good decisions. I mean, none of it's guaranteed. But mm-hmm. um, and again, it was it was something that I was aware of. I, I've got a, a guy who who looks after my my finances, who I've known. For nearly thirty years, It's kind of okay. is like a mate of mine. Um, so there's a, there's trust there and and, and whatever, and, and and things are rolling along just about okay now. Yeah. Um, but for for sure, I mean, I, I guess the only the only piece of advice really on that is is don't don't imagine that it's going to last forever. I think that's one mm-hmm. of the things that's most difficult to get your head around when you. Nineteen twenty years old um and just starting out is because that again it kind of goes back to that idea about the the mental health or the sort of um the, the vulnerability is that you you have to teach your, you have to think of yourself as being invincible and that you' kind of you know you're going to be up at this level forever and um but that's not the case you know there there's a certain realism that has to kick in particularly when it comes around your finances, so keep an eye out, look out for yourself kids.
0: people who are listening to this. Quite a few will know, but um, they might not know that you are an incredibly gifted musician, yeah. a great guitar player and have got a seriously good singing voice. So what have your experiences been trying to make inroads into the into the music industry, getting into bands, um, and that transition also from like playing into going into
1: that side of things? Well, I mean, the, the experiences of... of generally been pretty positive i mean the, the difficulty the i mean f- straight off the, the biggest difficulty is you're known for one thing you try and do something else everyone immediately assumes your shit and kind of uh, dismisses it you know um so you know i i, I have no illusions as to as to the fact that that was going to be the case and, and it is still the case to a, to a greater or lesser degree but because it's something that I've all, I've done pretty much all my life, and I, and and the songwriting element to it is is also um, very important to me. I'm kind of I'm not you know it's not like I want to I want to go on get myself on sort of celebrity um, TV uh, shows and you know Britain's Got Talent that type of thing. I I've, I'm happy to write sing perform in you know whatever size venues um with my bands put album put records out etc etc and have it all be judged on the on the strength of the music or not i mean and that's pretty much it that's really all that interests me about it um so and if anything and if anything amazing comes of it off the back of that then great you know but I, i my expectations are that that there are a hell of a lot of people who have, who have been musicians only all of their lives, and they've trained for it, and that's what they do. Who um, perhaps don't have the the opportunity uh, the opportunities in terms of exposure that I have because of something that I did before.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and you know, every, every everybody's better than you, everyone's better than everybody else. You know, there's no this it's just can I write songs that sort of resonate. With with people resonate with myself mm. more, more most importantly, yeah. um, and find that people like them, and then if they do, which which I've been finding with the, the, the second album and the subsequent songs I've released, sort of while we've been in lockdown and stuff, mm. that people eventually sort of forget that you're a cricket player at all. They're just kind of judging it on the on the music itself. Um, <laughs> So that's it, really. I, can't, I I love doing it. I absolutely love doing it. I and and you don't have to worry about how sore your legs are and stuff, do you? going
0: kind of, <laughs> yeah. sit and
1: sit and play and, and you know until until I'm eighty, you know, yeah. if, if I make it that long. Um, yeah. and, and that's what I will. That's what I will continue to do.
0: That's the ultimate thing that like, every, all you know. I know all cricketers are chasing. Um, and I know I'm I'm chasing in this next stage of my life is when you're able to be known. For something on just of um, of the art or, or what you do, um, yeah. like you said, that people listen to your music, love your music, and it doesn't matter whether you're a cricketer or not, they actually just really connect with what what you what you're doing, and that's the ultimate thing that you're you know you're trying to chase after. Your cricket days are finished. It's yeah. to sort of be yeah. you know be judged for that thing in particular, not you know the whole sort of package that you know that's there because of what you've been fortunate enough to be able to achieve before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, I kind of one of part of the reason why I, I I didn't want to stay in the game or sort of at least stay in track suits in the game, you know, mm-hmm. um, was because I, I didn't feel as though sort of being being a cricket player was was my sort of defining was mm-hmm. the defining thing about me. Um, Love it. Yeah. And you know, maybe maybe if I'd been better at it, it would have been. But you know, it's it, it's. Um, there's there just so many other things that i'm interested in so many other things that i kind of want to want to explore um that you know so so tv for example you know i've i've produced um documentaries i've kind of I've, I've done all kinds of very different things i'm like the ultimate jack of all trades master of none um and the idea of sort of being creative in a in a way that that had nothing to do with people's ability to hit and throw cricket balls was kind of is something that really really appeals to me so um. The yes, you know, people. I'll get reviews, you know, from from the albums And people sort of like. And the first thing they mention is the fact that you play cricket. There's no getting mm. away from that. I'm not mm. dismissing it at all. But yeah, it kind of that that's that's part of my life that I that I bloody loved and, mm. and would would do it all over again. But I still I can't do it anymore. I'm not that person anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, when you're 60 years old and whatever, you know, you can't, you can't still be, you can't still surely be sort of like former former cricket player. You know, so yeah. I'm, not, I'm not picked up a bat for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there exactly. must be something else about me. Yes, of you.
0: I love, like, with with all this stuff that you talked about. Um, butch your perspective on all this is absolutely brilliant and what you said there around um and it's very powerful is what you said there around just not letting cricket define like you as a person of course it's a huge part of you and you've loved you've loved it but that there's huge power in making sure that doesn't define you as a whole person because once you're able to have that perspective it means that you know if once that, once that's gone, once that cricket part's not there in some way, then you don't just sort of start to, you know, spiral a little bit out of control because yeah. you know, it's been the only thing that's defined yeah. you. So it's a, it's a beautiful perspective, mate. Yeah, brilliant. And Thanks. just and also uh, the your new album. That when did you when did you release that? And what's the what's the name of the album? I have to I'll have to download it. It's
1: called, now, it's called Now Playing, and that was in uh, that was last year. Um, okay. And yeah, it's it's gone down really well. And I've, we we put out because I was supposed to be touring sort of April, May,
0: right.
1: June this summer. So as soon as I got back from the from the PSL in March, we had yeah. we had a load of gigs because I didn't get the chance to really to 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 gig the album the previous summer and the winter I was away the whole time. So it was you know the lead into the English summer was supposed to have been sort of gigging and touring, and then it all mm. got all got cancelled. So we've I, you know, I've the writing kind of goes in fits and spurts, you know, at the moment. I'm kind of just there's songs coming out of me all left, right and centre. <laughs> and so we put out four four singles on sort of digitally, so they're on iTunes and Spotify and stuff. Yeah. Um uh, during the course of this summer as well, just to sort of keep the ball rolling and you know, it's, so that the 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 good the good stuff that happened from the album or the good things that people were saying about the album didn't get forgotten when mm. when nothing else was happening. So um, you know, and, and I've now got enough to, to do another album. We might even get a chance to put out another album next year, just because of the you know lockdown has been helpful in that way. Because just the, the creativity is, is there's nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's super cool, Butch. It is super cool. I'm gonna I'll download it straight away. I'll yeah, it'll be brilliant. Um, and the ba- your band's name.
1: Well, it's actually when we were to- when we were going out on the tour, which still yeah. hasn't happened, we were going to be yeah. uh, Mark Mark Butcher and the Illusions. Yep. A l l u s i o n s. Yeah, um, but we've not we've not ha- we've not performed under that name once yet. Yeah, again, okay. um, we did, we did one gig um, on the, the day that the album came out in July the well, was it July the sixth or something last summer, and that was yep. the last time we we did a band gig. So,
0: jeez, oh, over a year. Yeah, gosh, mm. the music industry's been hit so hard, hasn't it? Gosh. Mm. One thing that I've realised um, is that life is all about how well you bounce back from setbacks that are always thrown our way. Mm. Um, and I know you've had uh, your fair share as well. Um, so, do you have a, a mantra or a saying in your life that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenges that life always throws your way?
1: I, d- I think just just something like just just keep on. You know, I, d- I don't think I don't think I have one, but. You just kind of get up, don't you? And you and you and you have another go. Mm. I think that's that's it's not even a mantra, but I think that's just what you what I have done. You you get up, and you have another go. Yeah, <laughs> and you, and, you, you know, and try. I don't know. You, you just try try not to be a dick. I think that that's quite a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise,
0: you, otherwise, you can leave a bit of a trail of destruction behind you. <laughs> no, yeah,
1: I had. I think we all we all do when when we're young, and and um, again, sort of, the, there's there's an there's a huge ego um, part to sort of what we do, what sports people do. Mm. Um. And so there were there were times I sort of look back and think, oh God, you know, was that me? Mm. You know. And the ways that you can behave towards other people um, and not necessarily, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about sort of teammates or, or people like that, but just people mm. in your sort of your, your personal orbit. Mm. Um, and so just try, I, I try to be better, you know, <laughs> mm. and and I think one of the things, one of the things about life after cricket the doors that people imagine the sort of doors swing open to, to, to you because you were once famous for doing something, right? Mm. That everything then is no problem. You just have to click your fingers and it all falls into place. Well, that's not strictly true. That's really not true. Mm. Um, and in order to kind of, in order to forge your way in a world where other people are more um, experienced and more knowledgeable mm. and more successful than you are, there's a certain amount of humility that, that that needs to be involved. You need to be reliable. You need to be somebody that gets along with people from all walks of life, mm. um, etc. And if you can kind of, you know, if you can kind of forge your way whilst you're learning, trying to learn and scramble and pick up, um, pick up pieces of information and understanding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, of the new industries and worlds that you're finding yourself in along the way, you end up assimilating yourself into that, into that world. Mm. I think one of the mistakes that people can make is that you sort of come out with the, with a similar sort of bullishness and arrogance to, to, um, to life post cricket and you find, well, hang on, it's not the same. People aren't bowing and scraping to me and holding doors open to me and carrying my bags anymore, you know? Um, and And if, and if that hits you in the face and you haven't quite, and you're not ready for it or you don't, or you don't think, that you deserve to be treated in that way, then you're going to have a problem. You know, you're going to, it's going to, you're going to find it very, very difficult to kind of, to, to go again, to get up the next day and go again, because, because, because it isn't the same, you know, you don't have the same, your privileges are revoked at the moment. You sort of hand in the hand in your kit for the last time, you know, Mm. Um, and so I think that's I think that's, a, I think that's an, a really sort of important, uh, and that's something that I have told myself. I say I haven't got any mantras, but it's it's kind of like mm. you know, be on time, look presentable, don't be a dick. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're they're pretty good. They've served me reasonably well to, Ab- to now.
0: Yep, absolutely, mate. And then what you said around, like, just get up and go go again because you have got no mm. like in the end. Well, you do have a choice because some people can sort of just like. God, why me? I can't like, why has that happened to me? You know, I'm, I'm, do I really have to go again? But like, that's the beauty of life. You have to keep going. You never know what's around the corner. But you've met and been around some of the most successful people in the world. Who has inspired you the most and why?
1: This could change on a daily basis. Yep. But I, but I met, I met a guy who, who was a sort of a great hero to me and actually still is to this day. I'm, I met Eric Clapton at a dinner once. Stop it. Yes. <laughs> and I kind of, I as a, as a sort of a teenager, I suppose, I kind of read about and, and learned about his sort of life story and his struggles with addiction and you know, his sort of near-death experiences, all this kind of stuff with, mm. with, with basically self-inflicted stuff on him and um and obviously the the music etc etc and so I kind of felt like I knew him better than I knew most people in the world (laughs) when I met him yeah (laughs) and um so I was sat next to him and he comes in uh and sits down at the table and I'm I'm in I'm in peace I'm just a mess oh yeah as I'd be yeah and so in so in the end I just I said to him I I just thought i Let's just go for it I said um Hi, um, Eric, I'm Mark. And he, he knew, he's a cricket fan. He, he kind of mm. knew who I was. Um, I said, look, I need to, I need to get this out of the way. He said, I, I kind of, I, I, I basically love you. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And, uh, and he kind of looked at me and laughed and I laughed back. I said, look, hopefully we can have a nice dinner now. <laughs> <laughs> so good.
0: Yeah. And yeah. how'd, how'd the rest of the dinner go? How the rest you know,
1: of the right go and you know i've 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 been very i've been lucky enough i've kind of i've got his I've got his number on my phone and mm. i sent him my first my first album which was sort of 10 years ago and whatever and he sent me a lovely message back and said how much he enjoyed it and stuff and and we bump into each other from time to time at various things and he always asks, mm. you know he's just a, he's just a very very cool guy i mean um, wow so yeah that's that's one of the, he he's probably you know in terms of in terms of to anybody else, I don't know, but to me, he was kind of like the, He was my my god and idol when I was a, when I was a youngster, and um, so yeah. I'm lucky enough to sort of call him a, a almost a friend. That's
0: super <laughs> cool, mate. I've been I've been dreaming of meeting Eric. I've um, <laughs> like one of the I've, I was always because I've been a massive fan of Eric Clapton since I really got into playing guitar. Yeah. Um, the, you know, incredible blues, uh, the blues stuff, the, the heritage that he's pulled out from, yeah. um, you know, Robert Johnson and all like just brought these people to the fore again. Yeah. And um, I was so lucky. Um, 2013, I was walking past Royal Albert Hall, just arrived there after the um, the IPL it was before the Champions Trophy in 2013. Walked past Royal Albert Hall and it was Eric Clapton's last day last gig you'd had played there like seven nights in seven days or whatever it was. And I was like, this is no way I might get a chance to like what like so I rang <laughs> a friend who I was in the music business that I knew well um from my days at the Royals. And I just got so lucky. I was able to get <laughs> like yeah, I was able to go and watch him at Royal Albert Hall and it was like, you know, all that that footage that I've seen him playing like for cream in like sixty nine. Um, and then like the the reunion in 2005 for Cream and then all the other gigs that he's like done in 2005. Yeah. Oh, and just like, and that was one of the most special moments. So for you to be able to actually, (laughs) I would have done the exact same (laughs) thing. I just got to get out of the way, mate. You are. (laughs) It's so cool. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Butch, I absolutely love reading um, and learning as much as I possibly can um so uh do you can you give me a couple of the best books that you've read um that have had the most impact on you
1: um yeah i mean i i'm a i'm an avid reader although i, I guess sort of the advent of, of phones and things have kind of have have meant that i haven't trawled through as, as much of the stuff as i as i would do in the last year or so which is which is much to my uh my shame um but yeah, I mean, uh, Graham Greene is one of is one of my, my sort of my writing idols, I suppose. He's a very very English way of writing, very very sort of understated. Very rarely used, sort of uses adjectives or adverbs or things that mm. are extraneous sort of language, I suppose. Mm. And he writes about humans, you know, and about the sort of their, their, their frailties and their failings and all that kind of stuff. And, and in, in a way. That really, I don't know. It just touches me, I suppose. And so, one of the one of the, the novels of his that I really enjoyed was a thing called The Comedians, um, which is based around uh, three three guys, sort of perhaps fleeing from various situations, who end up in Haiti when um, Papa Doc is, uh, is is terrorizing the place. And it's just, it's an extraordinary sort of interwoven story. And he, I, I love his writing. Mm. Um, it's on the completely f- the other side of that, um, James Elroy, an American um, author, writes extraordinary novel- novels which are kind of interwoven with with fact, um, fact and fiction together. And he wrote those the, the, books. Yeah, the incredible trilogy around the sort of the the, the JFK murder. So the the, um, oh, right. the first first of the three is called American Tabloid. And the, the language of it is incredible. It's like it is literally like your sort of headlines. It takes you a little while before you kind of get into the the rhythm of the of the um of the way that he's writing and the, and the mm-hmm. speech and everything like that. But they are just the most incredible books. Um, and you and you do sort of in the you you do struggle to to figure out what's what's real and what isn't. You know the characters are so so true and the situations that he puts them in are things that you understand to be. The way that the stories played out in the first place, so they're they're, they're brilliant, yeah. um, And I uh, so it's just behind me, yeah. yeah a, a brief a brief history of seven killings by a guy called Marlon James, right. And that is around the attempted assassination of um, of Bob Marley in Jamaica. In oh right, place. yeah, okay. Um, I think it won a Mercury Prize or something, and I read I read it during one of the IPLs. Um, okay. And I think I can't remember. If it was Robbie Utape came up to me. sat around a pool in Bangalore. Or something. He said, "What are you mm. reading this?" He <laughs> said, oh, "I read this. is unbelievable." <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, that that's that was that's kind of again because what that what that does is it puts you in you know, my my ancestry on my mum's side is Jamaican. Mm. It puts you in. Um, it puts you in a part of the world that I kind of thought I knew a little bit about um, around a you know a figure obviously in Bob Marley who's who's sort of. Just one of the one of the sort of most iconic people of the last century, um, and molds that in with sort of with American influence, CIA, FBI type thing, um, the CIA mainly, and and sort of the way that the drugs ended up coming into Jamaica and mm. coming back into the states from there, etc. So it's again a slight fact fiction melding, and it's an extraordinary story. Okay. Um, I'll have I mean, to I read that because I
0: love I love Bob Marley. Yeah,
1: I've read, I've a Bob brief it. So, yeah seven yeah. killings Yes.
0: Yeah. unbelievable yeah. yeah okay I'll have to help me download that up a Kindle <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant um butch this has been really so special to have had you on this episode of lessons learned with the greats you did things during your career that every single kid growing up only ever dreams of and again, like that, that day in Headingley was one of the most special innings that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so with that innings alone, let alone the other you know, innings that you've played, you've inspired generations of not just English cricketers, but Aussie cricketers as well. Um, so it has now been super special to have heard the lessons that you learned throughout your cricket career and your life. I'm so grateful for you taking your time, giving me the time, and it was a lot of time um, for you to share all these amazing insights with me. And everyone who listens to this will be that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the greats of world cricket. So kind, Bush. Thanks, mate.
1: Mate, thank you. Thank you.
0: For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.